Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. Today's speaker is Dr. Bo Bruce. In today's gospel, Jesus is speaking privately to his disciples. And the passage strikingly begins with the word, again. Now, if you read some translations of the Bible, they chose to leave out that again. But trust me, it's there, not only in the faithful translations, but in the Greek. And that's okay when you're reading your Bible straight through. Uh, but for a lectionary reading, it's a pretty important word because it's a clue that there's some context missing here. So what is that context? Well, we're in Matthew chapter 13. It starts much like last week. Jesus gets into a boat and sits as rabbis do when they teach. And the crowd stands on the shore listening to him. Last week, we didn't hear what Jesus taught as he sat on the boat. Only what happened next, the miraculous draft of fishes. But today, we hear Jesus' teaching. Although I think this was a different day, I'm pretty sure Jesus was like most teachers and speakers. He didn't just make up what he said as he went along. He had certain teachings that he used over and over. So perhaps Matthew is filling in a gap from last week's story, telling us the words that Jesus spoke before he asked Peter to put down those nets. That teaching began with the parable of the sower. You've heard it before. It's the one about the farmer indiscriminately spreading his seed about. Some falls by the wayside, some on good soil, some springs up but had no root and withered away, etc. And if you want to hear more about that, come back next year on Sexodissima Sunday or maybe pull up the sermon from February 23rd from this year and listen to it. However, what's interesting is that when Jesus is alone with his disciples, They ask him why he speaks in parables. He explains that to them, and he takes it a step further. He explains in detail the meaning of the parable of the sower. Then continuing in chapter 13, it's sort of like a TV show. It really just jumps right back to Jesus speaking to the same multitude before. And we hear three other parables Jesus told the multitude specifically about the kingdom of heaven. The first is about another sower, one that sowed good seed in his field. But while he slept, the enemy came and sowed tares, that's that's weeds, among the wheat. And when the servants ask if they should gather up the tares, the sower responds, let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, First, gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Echoing that last parable in today's reading. Next, Jesus tells the multitudes that the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which man took and sowed in his field, and indeed is the least of all seeds. But when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. He tells them another short parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. The passage continues. Now returning back to that private place where Jesus is speaking with his disciples. This time they're eager for him to explain 
The next parable he told about the wheat and the tares, and he fulfills their request. So recall, this happened in a different sequence than the way it's told in the Bible. The actual sequence was that Jesus told the multitude all four parables we've talked about, the sower, the wheat and the tares, the mustard seed, and the leaven. Then the, he explained to his disciples about why he spoke in parables and then told them the explanation of the first parable and the second parable. So now that we have that context, that context straight, today's passage begins. Jesus is now just alone with his disciples, and he tells them three additional parables about the kingdom of heaven privately. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hidden for joy over it. He goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Let's start with those two short parables. This time we get no benefit of explanation from the Lord, because later when Jesus asks if they understand everything, they say yes. I sometimes wish they'd said no. I certainly would have. And maybe with the benefit of hindsight, Matthew wishes they had said no too. But anyway, there is a clear message of sacrifice in both of these parables that we don't see in the others. I find it easy to jump and ask myself, am I willing to give everything for Christ? But as our Thursday evening Bible study this week helped me see, more likely, we should first see Christ's sacrifice in these parables. And as I pondered that more, I came to realize that we really should always be asking, what does something say about Jesus first? Because what it says about Jesus, it says about us, because we have put on Christ in our baptism. We are to take up our crosses and follow him. And so when we reorient our viewpoint, we see the good news of the gospel is contained in each of these pithy parables. Each of us is the treasure. Each of us, the pearl of great price. God was willing to go and sell all that he has to buy us. The cost was huge. The humble incarnation and a shameful passion and death on a cross. But you were worth it. God was willing to do anything to save us. And it ended up costing him everything. To God... We are a priceless treasure. However, all too often, we are like the owner of the field or the seller of the pearl. We walk by our neighbor in need, not recognizing the treasure that is contained within them. We don't notice the beauty and dignity of our fellow human being because our hearts are darkened and hard. Ask yourself what you've done this week to treat one of your fellow human beings as an animal or an object? In whom did you fail to see a treasure worth everything? Who seemed just to be a rough gray oyster as you were pleasantly walking along, breathing in the sea air on the beach? And suddenly their sharp shell cuts your foot. The water comes over, breaks across, and the salt water is now burning in your wound, and you choose to curse them rather than take time to find the beautiful pearl inside. Or maybe you were the oyster. Your fears, your anxieties, your hang-ups make you rough to be around and prevent you from offering the beauty that is in each and every one of you to light up the world around you. And that brings us to the last of today's parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet 
that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to shore and sat down and gathered the good into the vessels, but threw the bad away. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth, separate the wicked from the just, and cast them into the furnace of fire. And there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Maybe Christ is reminding his disciples about that day when he asked Peter to put down the net for that miraculous draft of fishes we heard about last week. Now they are fishers of men. Maybe they still aren't entirely sure how to do that. Jesus tells him that the catch is big, really big, for the kingdom's dragnet catches everyone, not just the good, but also the bad, thanks be to God. But again, like the oyster, appearances are not what they seem. God knows our hearts, and he is the judge. And what matters to him, which fish will he keep, and which will he toss back into the sea? After all, we are his precious treasure. We are the pearls of great price. He gave everything for us. There is rejoicing over one sinner who turns and repents indeed. But we learn from Scripture that we must imitate the sacrifice of Christ. We must put on Christ. And when we do that, we will be the merchant who sells everything. We will be the man who finds treasure in the field. We'll find God. Not only that, we will be becoming more like him. We will be participating in the process of theosis. We will find our neighbor like Christ did. We will see them as the treasure they are, as the beautiful iridescent pearl. When we take up our cross, we stop seeing our neighbor as other and start seeing them as ourselves. Now, I'm most certainly not saying that we try to make them into us. Now, that's about the opposite of what I'm trying to say. Instead, what I'm saying is that we unite and align ourselves with them. We attribute to them the same love, the same dignity, the same self-protection, etc., that we offer ourselves. We make them truly our brother and sister. And if we feel like we don't have enough self-love, self-dignity, well, start there. Because I'm again here to remind you that Christ says you, yes, you are a pearl of great price. So we see the glory of Christ's image within us and in them. But also like Christ, we humble ourselves. We come down from our high horses and we walk with them. We unite ourselves with them and walk with them through the good and the bad, the sickness and in the health, in the cool of the garden and when they're hiding in fear. As St. Paul says, we rejoice with those that rejoice and weep with those who weep. We talk less and listen more. Instead of arguing with them, we listen to them. I don't know about you, but when I turn on the TV or the radio or start reading Facebook, I see a lot of people in pain. I see a lot of suffering. I see a lot of people being dismissive of some serious things going on in the world around us, whether that be police brutality, racism, virus, politics, etc. I think so many people are screaming because no one is listening. No one cares enough to sit down and listen. My daughter says, when I try to cut her off, listen to me, in her loudest voice. They aren't as straightforward as my soon-to-be first grader. But that's what they're saying, listen to me. And you know what? We need to listen. It's the first step to meeting people where they are in their pain. You can't go in with, 
I know how to fix this attitude. Because if you know how to fix the messes that we're in right now, maybe Jesus has already returned and we missed it somehow. In the Lord's Prayer, we say, Thy kingdom come, and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What we're saying is that the kingdom is here and now. What we're saying is that we are all caught up in this dragnet, which Christ and his body, the church, have tossed out. And if we're imitators of Christ, as we're called to be, then everyone's caught up in that dragnet. Whether they're red and we're blue, or they're blue and we're red, whether they root for their team or are our tribal, whether they're a saint or sinner in our eyes, they are our neighbor. They are a human being. They are a pearl of great price. They are Christ amongst us. And if we want to not be among those wailing and gnashing our teeth, then we know from elsewhere in the Gospels that we better be working to find Christ in our neighbor, for we don't want him to say to us, depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. I was yelling on Facebook and you didn't listen to me. Then they will also answer him saying, Lord, when did you see me hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick in prison and did not minister to you? When did you hear me scream? When did we hear you scream and we didn't answer you or listen to you? And he'll answer them saying, surely I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it unto me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, the righteous, eternal life. So I challenge you this week. Pick. One of the topics that's polarizing this nation right now. Maybe it's mandatory face orders. Maybe it's reopening schools. Maybe it's the removal of monuments and statues. Maybe it's ongoing protests over injustice in this country. Or something else. Seems like there's a smorgasbord. That's just what instantly came to mind. There are lots of possibilities here. Sure, you have your mind pretty much made up about one or more of these issues. Now, Go and try to put yourself in the shoes of someone on the opposite side. Ideally, go out and engage with a real, live human being. Safely, physically distanced, of course. Maybe reach out to a friend on Facebook you've already unfriended for something they said you didn't like. Or who you're thinking about unfriending. And say, hey, I haven't seen you in a while. Let's together, get together for some coffee and talk on Zoom or meet up at the park. Catch up on each other's lives. Remind yourself that they are a human being just like you, walking this difficult life. If it seems right to ask them to tell you how they're feeling about that thing that upsets you, do so. You don't get to talk, though. You only get to listen. And work to listen to them. And if you find your mind getting defensive, stop until you can get control and begin again. Try to assume the best in them. Try to find out why they are feeling the way they are. Hear their pain and their sorrow, their struggle. Try to find the treasure in them. Ideally, you'll be able to hear someone not trying to make an intellectual argument, but rather telling you from their heart why they have the position they do. Even if you can't find that, try to hear the backstory. Because when you really listen, you hear pain. You hear their suffering. You hear the reality of their life, the meaty, fleshy, incarnational reality of their lives that Jesus came to share with us. For example, maybe you'll hear a mother scared about sending her children 
school because she has an autoimmune condition that puts her at high risk of getting sick and dying from coronavirus, or because grandma lives with them. Or on the other side, you might hear a poor single mother who works two minimum wage jobs because she wants to get, help her children get out of the hell she's lived in her whole life. And she can't both work to be there to help her kids make sure they do their schoolwork online and be sure to pay the internet bill they need to do the classes online and put food in their mouths all at the same time. If you don't feel ready for that kind of engagement, I understand. I hope you'll try it if you do. But if not, maybe read a longer article from someone with the opposite viewpoint. Find a YouTube video of a speech from someone you have been demonizing because your political party that you most identify with has told you they're Satan. And don't be playing over in your head what your response to their every point is, waiting, as it were, for your moment to get your words in edgewise. Now let me be clear. I don't expect or even want you, in some cases, to change your mind about the issue you choose. That's not your measure of success. The measure of success is whether you see a human being on the other side of the exchange. You'll know that you have succeeded if you stop and if you begin to stop seeing your neighbor as an anonymous statistic, as a demon, as an animal who should be caged, or a mere object to which you direct your anger, or as something to manipulate or made for your pleasure. Work to find Christ in them, because you know what? He's there in every single instance. You'll know you've succeeded when you see Christ in your perceived enemy. Today we celebrate St. Anne, the mother of the Blessed Virgin Mary. We know very little about her and her husband, Joachim, except that they were barren until old age, that they dedicated Mary to the temple at a young age after their prayers for a child were answered. So we heard in morning prayer about the story of Hannah, Eli, and Samuel, who were under similar circumstances. It wasn't a good thing back then to be childless. To be childless was seen as a curse from God. We heard how Hannah was cursed by people. Can you imagine what people said behind their backs or even to their face? People were blind to the hurt, to the pain, to the plight they were suffering. And rather than walking with them and supporting them, cursed them. Failed to see Jesus Christ in them. He was there, even in a sort of literal sense. The treasure was within them, even if the other refused to see it. The treasure is in you. The treasure is in your neighbor. So work to find Jesus Christ in everyone. And I mean everyone. And as we shed our hard-hearted selves, we sit by the well with the Samaritan woman, we sell our attachments to worldly things that are passing away, we will not only see Christ in our neighbor, we will start to uncover him in ourselves. We will become aware of that treasure in our field. We will realize that we have an invaluable pearl within us. We will know that Christ came for each and every one of us and for all of us as we transform more and more into his likeness. We will be more fully human because we will be more like him. We will be set apart from the world. We will be seen as a calm in this tumultuous storm. We will warm hearts, transform minds, 
and most importantly, bring the love and life of Christ to all around us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, God is one. Amen. Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.